Thank you. I, I, I'm not sure I really, really knew about um, expressing before delivery. Really doing that. Wow. Thank you. Okay, so um, moving on. So another mother is worried that her children don't like eating fruits. I don't know, Dr. Mills. So she's worried that her children will get cancer. In um, Ghana this year, I don't know whether it's a worldwide thing, but it's uh, Childhood Cancer Awareness Month this September. And you know the whole education about children eating fruits and all that. Some mothers are worried that um, if your child is not eating fruits, you are trying everything. You make it into juice. Child will not eat it. You are cutting it. Everything you are trying. The baby that just doesn't like it. The children just don't like it. Does it mean that the child will automatically get cancer? I mean, what would you say to that? Okay, so I think this is two questions in one. Okay. First of all, children are stubborn and they try to be smarter than us. I'm talking from experience because I'm a two-year-old who, who thinks he is a genius in the house. But um, so with giving him fruits, sometimes you have to try and hide the fruits. So what you can do is that you can blend it and put it in pancakes or something that they really enjoy. Put it in smoothies, make it fun. But the fact doesn't eat fruits doesn't mean that they are going to get cancer. Unfortunately, cancer in children is there isn't a specific known cause for most of their childhood cancers, unlike in adults where um, a man who smokes is likely to get breast cancer, sorry, lung cancer. In children, it isn't that way. Children get cancer just because there are certain changes in their genes and um Although there are a few cases where it may be because of exposure to radiation, to um, doing a lot of x-rays, or if you live in an area that's um, a high radiation zone, sometimes those children may be predisposed to cancer, but not eating fruits doesn't mean that your child will get cancer. So I know it's hard for parents and mothers, but um, you have to keep on trying. <laughs> You have to keep on trying. You have to keep on incorporating the fruits into different things so that they can eat it. But rest assured that there's no need. There's no need to worry about a child getting cancer because they are not eating fruits. Okay. Wow. I don't know. That's encouraging because my children don't like eating fruits. I mean, my yeah, doesn't like eating vegetables. So. <laughs> okay. That's very encouraging. Okay, the, so. the, the, the trick may be maybe adding, you know, all kids love something like ice cream, isn't it? Yeah. So sometimes, you know, you can make an ice cream mix with From bananas, whatever, yeah. with banana or this or, or that. Mm -hmm. and yeah. things. Mm -hmm. So if you cut them into bits and then mix it with the ice cream, you know, so sometimes those are the tricks, you know, to kind of. But sometimes the raw foods, you know. <laughs> they don't like those. But I mean, some people also say that, you know, when you um, um, exclusively breastfeed, the children are less likely to take food, you know, adults' foods and all these foods and vegetables. Lauren, do you think that's true? So you, are you, you're saying they're perhaps less likely to? Yes. Uh, well, so um, there is some research actually to say that breastfed babies, um, because they get lots of different flavours in the milk, depending on what mum eats, that sometimes they can be less fussy when it comes to introducing food. Um, having said that, I breastfed both of mine and one is very fussy and one is not. Uh, so I don't know if there's much in that. Um, but no, certainly breastfeeding won't make them less likely to, uh, to try different food, but possibly more. <laughs> 
Okay. Okay. So, um, moving on. So, I mean, uh, I don't know whether gripe water, Dr. Depon, gripe water is it like a very big deal there. A lot of mothers, like, you know, become oh. very worried about oh. their baby stretching and, you know, okay. coming all fussy after eating okay. and want okay. to introduce gripe water. Yeah. One so, mother gripe, gripe water is also here. We have gripe water and we have some, you know, other remedies. Okay. In some, I'm sure maybe some of you might have heard something called Infacor and things like that. I didn't get that piece. Yeah. In Infaco. Infaco, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Infaco, mm -hmm. okay. So, um, just to tell you a little story, but please don't tell anyone. I used to actually, you know, I had a younger sister who was maybe how, about 10 years younger than me. I used to actually steal her ripe water to drink. Yes. Why? Don't tell, don't tell Gina because I think you know Gina, so don't tell her. And you know what? I, and you know my mom as well, so don't tell her. What I used to do was I would drink some of it and then top it up a bit with water. Okay. <laughs> because why? It was very nice. It was very, very tasty. Okay. So people are wondering whether it's the sweetness of it right that suits the baby okay but otherwise it's got these um you know all sorts of things you know there are different combinations with ginger and sodium bicarbonate and a whole lot of you know kind of other mix it's postulated that it does something for the bowel okay but there is no if you ask me as a scientists or as a medic you know there is no evidence because we've not actually um you know kind of done any studies or anything you can see my young man behind me we've not done any studies or anything you know on it so there's no hard evidence but those who use it you know believe that it, it actually works okay mm. as to whether it is bad you know whether there's anything toxic in it or anything you know my mom gave it to me to my brother to my sister you know Ghanaian mothers you know have this form, uh, what they call a glazy or something like that right and you 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 always find gripe water in it okay in the uk i mean we found that actually when you are doing certain procedures or doing anything with a baby that the baby doesn't like okay what you could do is actually give them you know, we've, we've got something called sucrose, you know, so is, you know, high percentage uh, dextrose or high percent um, sugar, right? And it comes in a liquid form. And if you are, you know, pricking them to put a cannula in or doing any sort of procedure for the baby, when you give them this sweet thing, Okay, really, uh, yeah. sorry to interrupt. I have to attend to my little boy. I'll be back very soon. I'm all right, all right. No, don't worry. So others are listening. So <laughs> as you can see, mine is hovering behind me. Uh -huh. So when we give them this, you know, sucrose, right, it tends to settle them for whatever procedure you are doing, right? So the gripe water, is it because it is sweet for these babies? You know, that is what suits them. But the story goes that the original, original gripe water was actually made by someone, a lady in the UK. And those days, it actually contained alcohol, right? So maybe those days were different. It was making them sleep or something like that. But, you know, so far, you know, babies who have had it, you know, there's not been any reported cases of anything, you know. So 
from a Ghanaian perspective, I think, you know, you can still give it to them. But, you know, make sure your husbands are not also drinking it and topping it up with a bit of water. As water. I would do. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, Dr. Chacon, I have a question. Yes. Okay. Yes. okay, so what, 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 I don't know if you've read anything about um, giving bright water and the sugar level time may affect feeding in babies or cause tooth decay. It, 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 it actually doesn't. I mean, because normally the times that we are giving them this gripe water, right, or this sucrose thing that I'm talking about, those are times that, you know, they don't have any sort of teeth in their mouth, right? <clears throat> so that is fine. What people don't tend to realize is, you know, some, of, some mothers will continue, you know, just leaving the babies with the bottles in their mouth, okay? Or very acidic drinks, you know, like, you know, you can prepare these, you know, some of these juices, right? And constantly some mothers will put it in a bottle, you know, and, you know, give it to the babies all the time and then it's in their mouth. And I think that is what is associated with, you know, tooth decay. So once they've not got any teeth, you know, then it's okay. And most mothers will give this gripe water till, you know, baby is about six months or they're about when they are fully fed. You know, that's from my kind of experience when I was in Ghana. Okay. Dr. Samuel, did you want to say anything else to that? Okay. Um, yeah, just to add on, apart from gripe water, if they are worried about um, the baby having colic or a tummy upset from um, too much gas, one thing that helped me with my older son was doing stomach massages. Okay. It's very helpful. So usually after he um, breastfeeds, um, I'd usually massage his tummy in a clockwise, um, clockwise manner. So we do that for about maybe five minutes, and then um, cycling his legs as well. I don't know if it helped, maybe it was just in my mind, but it seemed to help with his fussiness, especially at night. So those are some other things that I tried. And then also swaddling, swaddling him, swaddling the babies. It gives them a sense of comfort. So that's also helped with their colic. Okay, wow. Ba baby massages, maybe Lauren can tell us something about it. You know, because in the UK, it's quite a, it's quite a big thing, right? Mm. And it looks like studies are showing some positive stuff. So maybe Lauren may have some comments. Yeah, um, I think I think um, you you're perhaps thinking about the type of baby massage where parents do classes and courses, and they they do it as a sort of bonding exercise and something to relax baby. Um, but certainly, I've heard um, um, uh, uh, what what uh, you, you were mentioning about. Um, massage and leg cycling I've certainly heard of that before um, yes in terms of just trying to get things moving if they're straining if they're a bit uncomfortable um, you know I've heard quite a few parents say that that, that does help definitely but yes I think John perhaps you're talking about the more general sort of baby body massage type stuff okay um, but I mean uh, there are some mothers who worry that you know generally we, we, we we tell mothers that breast milk is the best kind of milk to give to babies. But then there are some mothers who um, complain that after, like immediately after breastfeeding, that's when the discomfort is the most. I mean, what would you say to that? Is it that the, the kind of food the mother eats, I mean, it's the, I mean that has an um, effect on whether the baby has discomfort after breastfeeding or it has something to do with breast milk itself? Uh, so, so you mean that some mums 
report baby is uncomfortable after feeding and whether that's to do with anything um, in the in, that they're eating that sort of thing um, not really not that we know of um, I mean there are a very small number of babies who are sensitive to cow's milk protein um, and so some babies can react to uh, dairy or soya in mum's diet um, and and can have often you would get sort of rashes um, perhaps mucusy poo baby being quite unsettled maybe maybe reflux symptoms um, so those things can be associated with cow's milk protein sensitivity or intolerance um, and what mum could do in that situation if she was concerned would be to cut out dairy and soya for a couple of a week or two and see if it makes a difference but is that and and, and some mums do try that but it's actually a very small number of babies that do react because the amount of cow's milk protein that comes through in breast milk is very very small um, so a lot of mums don't find it makes a, a huge difference um, but it, it, it can be an issue occasionally uh, but in general in terms of eating things that might cause upset I think there have been a lot of um, suggestions over the years um, but really we don't have any evidence of anything particularly uh, in you know in breast milk that, that upsets baby and generally breast milk is very gentle uh, and very easily digested and easily absorbed um, so they tend to have less digestive symptoms than with formula milk because it can be a little bit rich sometimes for them to tolerate so so no in general it shouldn't cause any problems with breast milk unless there is um, you know something else going on perhaps some sensitivity to cow's milk protein or something like that which is quite unusual okay Right, so um sorry, in medicine as well, we know about you know the possible reflux. Okay, so what people describe as heartburn, heartburn, heartburn. Okay, babies can have that as well. So we know that the kind of ages that it affects are the very elderly and then babies. And it is is because for the babies. You know, the tube that we, you know, when we swallow, where the food goes through, what we call the esophagus, right? It then ends up in the stomach. Between the esophagus and the stomach, there's supposed to be a sphincter or a zone that is a little bit tight. So that after we've eaten, food doesn't come back up, right, into, into the esophagus or into our mouth. When food does that, then the acid that is in the stomach, comes up right this uh, eating tube or esophagus and then that is what for we adults you know we have this what we call heart then right so for babies the best best thing is when you are feeding them maybe halfway right try and what we call bep them so you put them you know on your shoulder pat them on the back and you hear this big bulb you know and then continue again and then at the end of it do the same thing so always always make sure your baby beps okay so always make sure your baby beps because if the baby doesn't beep then it's as if say you know you have you know uh, my best drink is coca-cola you've got some coca-cola uh, mixed with some fluid in in the tummy and with that the gas always wants to escape and as it's coming out, it's, it tries to come up with a bit of the milk as well, right? And then they can get this hard bend and sometimes that makes them really uncomfortable. So always make sure you bep your babies. Okay. okay. Um, moving on, I think we are talking about babies quite a bit. 
Um, to older children, I think one of the commonest uh, complaints in, um, in mothers sometimes, I mean, not just older children, really, babies, you know, it's uh, my child has a fever or is feeling warm. I mean, when, when exactly should we be worried? I mean, should it be a number of days? When do you worry excessively? Because I think children have fever. Sometimes they go, you just give a pain, um, paracetamol, the fever is relieved and all that. When do you decide that, okay, this one needs to go to the hospital and I can't wait? And in light of, I mean, September being Cancer Awareness Month in children, and what kinds of fevers are more alarming or points uh, more significantly to a probable cancer in a child? Uh, I don't know, Dr. Mills, or could you come? Yeah, maybe Dr. Mills can start off. <laughs> okay, so first of all, the, the most important thing is to make sure that your child really has a fever. So in Ghana, a lot of the times, a mother will come and say, oh, my, my child has a fever, and then we'll ask, oh, have you checked the temperature? And then she'll say, no, I used my hand and the baby felt warm. So first of all, they should know that uh, fever is when the temperature is about 37.5. Ideally, it should be checked with a thermometer. So if they can afford one, they should get a thermometer and then check the baby's or the child's temperature each time they think the child is warm. And if a child has a fever, a lot of the time they have viral infections because they are children. They are playing with other children. They are exploring the environment. So they tend to get viral infections, which may cause a fever. A lot of the times, this will resolve on its own. Um, you can get paracetamol if you check the temperature and it's about 37.5. But um, in children between six months to six years of age, we are worried about something called febrile seizures. So this is when they have um, convulsions due to a very high temperature. It could be because of an ear infection, a throat infection, and commonly, commonly in our environment, it could be because of malaria. So um, in these children, you want to make sure that their temperatures are well controlled. You have to make sure that the fever is well controlled because if it's not, it could lead to a convulsion and that's very scary for any parent. Yeah. And, um, if a child has a fever and it's not resolving with just paracetamol, what um, you could add on is giving bruising. And you could also do tepid sponging. I know there are some people who don't um, subscribe to tepid sponging, but it, it works. Please, can you tell us it's what tepid sponging is? <laughs> okay, so with tepid sponging, you are using um, lukewarm, not lukewarm, room temperature water. I'm not using cold water because you don't want to get the baby or the child too cold. But yeah, trying to reduce the child's temperature just by using um, some water and a cloth. So yeah, from head to toe, you're just sponging the baby down or sponging the child down to make the temperature come down. And you're doing this in addition to your paracetamol or your boosting. And you can get your boosting eight early, but if the fever persists, always report to your doctor. You might have to do some tests to make sure there's nothing sinister going on. And since we are in September and it's childhood cancer awareness, you should also remember that um, if a child has recurrent fever, so fevers that occur very frequently, let's say every month a child is getting a fever that lasts four or five days, or that needs antibiotics to treat it, um, or if you have persistent fevers, 
it's important to come to the hospital so that tests can be conducted to find out if there's a sinister cause. What we are worried about in these children is leukemia, so cancer of the blood or lymphoma, cancer involving the lymph node. In fact, any type of cancer can um, go into the bone marrow and the bone marrow is where the blood cells are produced. So if the cancer has invaded the bone marrow, the white cells are usually white infection can't do their work. So that's why these children tend to get infections. They tend to get recurrent and persistent fever. It's always important to report to the hospital so that the appropriate tests are conducted if they're needed. All right. Thank you. So Did you want to say something? From, from my little experience as well, so babies who are less than sort of six months old, right, I'll be a bit more careful when they have a fever. Okay. Yeah. Always, if possible, you know, get a doctor to check, check, check them out. Okay. Um, and then, you know, this, these kind of paracetamol and all that is very good for this febrile convulsion, as uh, Dr. Mill, uh, Mills has said. And then the other thing is, you know, now I think Ghana is moving forward. So I think people are now, you know, for example, those who are sharing with us on the internet and stuff, they, you know, there are a lot of these Chinese products, which are good, which can actually measure, you know, you know, some, some of them can do temperature, can do your uh, pulse rate or the, how fast your heart is beating. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure maybe some of these mothers may have some of those things. The main thing is if you have one or if you are able to feel your child's pulse or the heartbeat, okay, you can actually count it. It's a really, really good guide. Okay. Because if you give a child paracetamol or neurofen and the temperature comes down right but then the pulse rate is very very high then this child is still not well hello <laughs> then this child is still not well okay so if you have a means you know of getting that sort of thing you know that will be very very good and normally if you buy those things it will tell you what the ranges are the acceptable ranges are okay so if a, a child has what you call sepsis or septicemia or blood poisoning or has we don't know what sepsis very... is. sorry we don't know what sepsis is oh good god um how do i break it down you know so it's not like your common cold or this that you know when you give you know um paracetamol or things like that the temperature goes for just a few hours and it comes back right and you see that you know, for kids, one of the things we see with all kids is they're always running around. They're always very happy. Okay. If you give this kid some carpal or neurofen and this kid, okay, the temperature has come down, but this kid is still not moving around, not interested in anything, then please, 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 you know, get, get, get the kid, you know, seen by a doctor. Okay. Okay. So if I'm understanding you, we are saying that look beyond the fever. I mean, yeah. the fever is not the only indication that the child may be sick. I mean, the fever may come down with your drugs, but if the child is still not active, is still not behaving, you know. Okay, okay. And I think you look out for other symptoms. Maybe the child is vomiting, um, yeah. is passing too frequently and all that. Then yeah. you would know that yeah. you can't be staying at home with a child like that. All right, thank you. So um, someone else is worried about um, her two-year-old who is not talking. Her, mm. Kind of, kind of 
Okay, sorry. So um, another mother is worried that her two-year-old is not talking. It's not talking yet. Um, sometimes responds to his name, sometimes doesn't. Um, doesn't seem to really articulate or doesn't seem to um, tell, like when he wants water or something, will not ask for the water. Will just point, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, he's not, he's not as um, engaging as his older sister was. You know, because she has two kids and can tell there's a difference between how this one is behaving and how the other one was. Um, she's worried. I mean, she's thinking that uh, maybe the child is autistic or something. Um, I mean, what would you say to mothers who realize that their children are not uh, following the same developmental patterns as they are? They realize other people's kids are or older children they have um, followed. What would you say to that? So we have you know, like you use the word developmental, you know, here we say developmental milestones. Okay. So um, I know Ghana, they used to give them this book, but I don't know whether they've stopped or it's still there. So it gives you a guide. Let's say, sorry. Are you talking about the child health record? Hello. Hello. Sorry. Um and you know other um pervasive what what we call pervasive you know communication sort of disorders the only problem is in ghana i don't think i don't know whether you now have speech and language specialists okay but the first clue to this is actually whether this kid actually is hearing or not you know when when he was a baby when you rattle keys does he look you know to that side okay if you say that he seems to have name recognition then that is good you know how early was it how late was it if it was very late you know then that may be a little bit you know kind of worrying but then it tells you at least maybe the hearing you know is there okay so sometimes you can play some tricks you know rattle something you know just behind him without him seeing you and see whether he turns to it you know so those will give you the a clue that oh this my baby's hearing is fine so let's move on to you know the language bit right and i don't know whether now there are you know uh, speech and language therapists or you know speech people i don't know if there are okay there yeah. are i can see yeah. some nodding of heads so in that case you know he could you know he will benefit from such an assessment but saying that in the uk they feel that a lot of these things children learn from around them okay, okay. so a child like this if he's walking right they will try and push this child into a kind of nursery setting okay because over there there will be a lot more interaction right he will he see his own type what they are doing you know and children will copy that is how we learn okay we'll copy a lot and learn you know certain things how to speak you find out that he will be coming home and saying you know things in gibberish but he's learning to do stuff okay 
and then these sisters should always interact with him you know because he's going to learn from them that is how we learn that is how babies learn hmm. so these are the you know these are the uh, the bits that i'll say okay so if there's a formal assessment that would be good if he goes to some kind of nursery you know that would be good interacting with these sisters you know hmm, is also really really good and then at home you know just check do some you know minor minor stuff with a car key or something behind him okay that you think every child should hear you know if he doesn't tend and things like that then maybe he needs a hearing check or something like that okay um i think uh, dr mills whether dr mills has any um just to add on um i think it'll be also important to get a bit of history from the mother just to know if there were any issues when she was pregnant or in the neonatal period because sometimes if they have speech delay or hearing impairment it could be because of um birth asphyxia so maybe just before the baby was born there was um, fetal distress so the baby had um difficulty getting oxygen to their brain so the neurologic development isn't as it should be and um you also want to know if there are any features associated with these symptoms she's talked about the language to me so if there are any seizures um which could point more to global developmental delay rather than just um language delay if there's um hypothyroidism so the thyroid hormone is also important in brain development it's important in growth so sometimes children with hypothyroidism may have language delay and um yeah i think those are the the only things i'd like to add but I mean, at two years old, should this mother be so worried? At two, the child is too um, old. Like Dr. Japa was saying, especially because he's a boy, so boys tend to have slower social skill development than girls. So they tend to have slower language delay than girls. So up to fifteen percent of two-year-olds will have language delay. If it's after three years and he's not speaking as much. So usually around 24 months, you expect the child to have maybe 50 words at the maximum. Some may have more, some may have less. Every child is different. But the fact that he points when he wants something, usually children with autism aren't, they are not very social. So if, let's say he wants water or he wants to eat something, he's more likely to go and get it himself than point for you to go and get it for him. So given that alone i mean you can't use that alone to make a diagnosis or rule it out but i don't think she should try and do the things that dr japan has talked about and then if she's still worried after let's say three years then maybe we can look further into it but if she is worried it's always it always set your mind that needs to get a formal assessment and be told that your child is okay rather than waiting for something to happen or not to happen yeah yeah, now that you mention it, I remember, I mean, uh, that whole thing about comparing children, you know, okay, my older child did this, so I expect this one to do the same. I, I remember my first child is a girl, and uh, my girl was, was speaking, started speaking around one, I mean, 18 months or so, but my boy did not do that. But when he started speaking, I think he started speaking even better than his sister did, but I was so worried because I was like, why is he so quiet? He's always lying down looking at me. He's not as he wasn't talking as much as his sister was at that age. Now I feel like I shouldn't have been worrying so much, you know, because 
well, I worried myself for nothing. He didn't have he didn't have any problems, but I always always worried that oh, he's too quiet. Why is he always not, not like his sister was and all that? But go, go boys, you see, go boys. You see. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was, I was the same as well. I think you know my first daughter was very chatty, uh, and my second daughter uh, at, at two and a half she was still completely nonverbal. Um, you know, we worried because her sister had been so different. Um, now she's six and she doesn't stop talking at all. Um, but what we found useful actually for that, when she was about two, two and a half, coming up to three before she did start to talk more, we found sign language really helpful. Um, there are some very simple baby signs um, that you can look up online and she would sign for milk, she would sign for more. Um, and we found that really helpful just to try and understand what she wanted. Uh, yeah, that's just my experience. Wow, interesting. Okay, so um, I at this point I don't know. Okay, so someone I, wants I to. I think know. I think you 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 are going to have a session on autism later or something like that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So you know, I can get someone, you know, a consultant, um, you know, who looks into that. Okay, <laughs> but those who are worried about autism. Um, as Dr. Mills said, you know, these kids, they will do the things themselves. You know, they won't ask you, they won't point to the thing and stuff. But apart from that, they have some particular things that they like doing. Okay. <laughs> and they are almost always doing that particular thing, that sort of thing. So if those features are not there, then forget about autism. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So, um, Lauren, someone wants to know um, weaning tips. I mean, you. Put, you give babies breast milk for six months and then you're finally ready to start introducing them to other foods. Um, mm -hmm. What would you say about doing that so that the babies actually... Okay, yeah. So actually the recommendation from the World Health Organization is uh, breastfeeding exclusively for six months uh, followed by the introduction of other foods and then continued breastfeeding for two years and beyond. Um, and I think that message sometimes gets a little bit lost because we, we hear the six months but a lot of mums think that they have to stop breastfeeding at six months, which of course you, you don't at all. Um, but that's when you would think about introducing other foods. Um, I mean, my best tip for, for introducing other foods would be what, you know, what, what, we, what we call baby led weaning. Um, and this is, you know, there's two schools of thought. There, there's the, the slightly more traditional way where we would puree everything and spoon feed babies. Um, and then there's, you know, a slightly newer school of thought which is, you know, you just give babies a bit of what you've got, a bit of bread, a bit of rice, a bit of peas, some soft vegetables, some pasta, um, and, just, and you just put it in front of them for them to explore, for them to play with, for them to get used to tastes and textures, and you want to make it fun. Um, so the, the sort of motto that we, that we often use is, food before one is just for fun, because actually we sometimes find that when we're trying to spoon feed babies, you know, trying to almost sort of force them to have something um, that they can sometimes get a little bit averse um, and sort of associate feeding with, you know, oh no, they're making me have this again. Um, whereas sometimes if we keep it, you know, really nice and relaxed and just put things in front of them for them to play with, you know, first of all, they may just ignore it. Um, then they may start throwing it on the floor, but, you know, and then eventually they might start actually trying to put it in their mouth and see what it feels like and tastes like. And it's just a really nice, relaxed way. And I think it's a li little bit less stressful for parents sometimes as well, um, because it's just a way for them to, you know, to sort of get to know food in their own time uh, and experiment a little bit. And you can also do that alongside yogurts, puree, you know, other things that you want to do. But I think baby led weaning uh, alongside continued breastfeeding, or if you're giving 
formula milk, you would continue giving stage one formula milk. Uh, it's perfect. All right, Lauren, thank you. So, um, another, so she's also asking about when it comes to time, around two years, when the WHO says it's okay to, like, I mean, finally stop breastfeeding completely. How do you mm -hmm. stop it? I mean, that can also be a very big challenge. How do you actually get them? You just, one day, I'm not giving you breast milk, and I don't care how many times you cry. I am just <laughs> not going to end it. How do you go about it in a humane Sure, sure. And I think stopping breastfeeding is quite a complicated topic sometimes, and it's a very personal, very emotional question, uh, because actually, you know, you don't have to stop it too. Um, I breastfed my last daughter till she was four. Um, you know, you can carry on as long as you like. Um, some people do allow baby to just stop by themselves. As you get to two, three, four, it's a very different breastfeeding relationship. It's not like feeding a newborn, um, you know, very frequently. It's more like, you know, they want a cuddle or they fell over and hurt their knee and, you know, they want a bit of comfort or, you know, there's always, it's always going to have a benefit in terms of immune properties, in terms of, uh, you know, just that lovely relationship. Uh, but equally, you know, if it's not working for both of you, then it's okay to stop. Um, so, yes, yeah, so if you, you know, when you do feel the time is right, um, you know, there, there are different ways of doing it. Some people will go sort of cold turkey uh, and try to uh, just stop completely. Sometimes that can be a little bit more stressful for, for mum and child um, than perhaps doing it a little bit more gradually, a little bit more gently. Um, but it does depend on what's right for you. Some parents will decide to just wean from breastfeeding at night time if they feel like, you know, they, they, they just want to, you know, they're not happy to be, be up and feeding, you know, or, or for a baby to, uh, or for the child to, to want to feed overnight. Uh, they might decide that they want to, you know, just do night weaning, but then carry on in the daytime. So it's very personal. And I think it depends on, on your situation and, and how you feel. But if you're going to stop, firstly, from a milk supply point of view, you do want to do it gradually so that you're not going to get very, very full and engorged and, uh, you know, we don't want to leave you open to block ducts and mastitis and that sort of thing. So, you know, you could perhaps try cutting down a feed or an expression if you're if you're expressing, uh, you know, maybe every few days and just bringing it down. In terms of actually getting the child to stop breastfeeding, if that's what you're wanting to do, um, sometimes distraction can work quite well. Um, you know, so sometimes when they ask, you know, you might say, oh, no, let's play with this. Let's or let's do something else. Um, <laughs> sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, so it does depend on uh, you know uh, how much they'll let you do that. Um, but yes, yeah, so, you know, or or you might and delay that. Oh, you know, not not now, but you know later on. So it depends on the child's understanding as well, I think. Um, uh, so it's a tricky one sometimes. But uh, uh, yeah, I think it's but it's important to know that you you know you don't have to stop at any particular point. It's only really when you feel you want to. Not because you know, not because you know, mother-in-law says you should, or or uh, or somebody in the in, in the cafe said that you should. You know, you know, you stop when when you feel the time is right. Um, but and I think a gradual way is probably the easiest thing uh, with delaying distraction techniques. Uh, but you know, equally, if you feel like you you've just got to stop, um, then it's trying to you know trying to make the child understand that you know um, you know the, the boobies have gone to sleep or. You know, not 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 right now. Sort of trying to find the right the right way to communicate that to them, I suppose. Okay, okay. So, um, because we are still talking about breastfeeding, there's a question on um bottle feeding. Um, please, what do you do if your three month old does not like to feed from the bottle? 
you know sometimes mm-hmm. you want to go out you want to express so that you can go out and have a peace of mind you know get a break and then your child absolutely refuses to you know feed from the bottle are there any tricks any hacks to making sure your child mm-hmm. It's a really common question. Um, I mean, there is this sort of window of opportunity, maybe between about four to six weeks, where if you're wanting baby to take a bottle later on, it might be an idea to introduce the odd bottle here and that maybe every other day or something like that. Yeah. Ideally of express breast milk, um, because that's a good time. We don't want to introduce a bottle too early because it can interfere with breastfeeding, but we don't want, but sometimes if you introduce it later on, as you say, a lot of babies aren't so keen and they, they know what they want and they, you know, they want mum. So what can you do? Um, There are lots of things that people do try with varying success. Some people find that baby will only take take a bottle when mum's not there, when she's not, when baby can't see her. Um, You know, they're more likely to take it from from somebody else than from mum sometimes. Um, Sometimes it's worth experimenting with different shaped teeth to see what, what the baby likes. Um, uh, you know, and sometimes you can you can sort of hold the bottle, you know, sort of in a breastfeeding position to see if that helps. Um, but a lot of I think a lot of mums do worry a lot about baby taking a bottle when they're out for a few hours. And I think one important thing to say is, you know, if they if they won't take it, don't worry too much. You know, they won't sort of, you know, dehydrate themselves. You know, if they will take a, a few sips of water from a sippy cup, perhaps. Or some babies are more likely to take milk in a sippy cup or a doidy cup, um, you know, rather than a bottle. Um, you know, but if they if they won't, you know, then generally they're okay. Sometimes they'll make up for it when you come back, and they'll want to feed a lot when you come back. We call that reverse cycling, uh, you know, and that's okay. Um, so I think often it's worse in our heads than you know than, than you know, reality. Generally, the babies are okay in the end. But, um, if I got you right. Um, you can experiment with different kinds of teeth mm-hmm. and um, there's a window of opportunity between four to six weeks so that if you know that you would want your baby to be taken to a bottle later on, between four mm-hmm. to six weeks, you can try um, introducing the bottle then. Yeah, um, just not, not, yeah, not, doesn't, you don't have, it doesn't have to be frequently, just here and there, perhaps so that they do accept a bottle and you want to try and make it fun. You don't want them to try and force them if they're really not having it, you know, then perhaps you can try the next day. Some people even find, again, distraction, you know, maybe trying in front of the TV or, you know, <laughs> can, can sometimes, because they're not thinking about it so much, or perhaps when they're quite sleepy or, you know, nice and calm. If a baby's really screaming hungry, they generally don't want to try anything new. Um, so, yeah, so when they're very calm or when they're distracted, sometimes that can help. Okay. Okay. All right. So, okay. sorry, going just to add on, right, speaking, from, speaking from personal experience, so... With my first son, he had, you know, in Ghana, uh, maternity leave is only for three months. Yeah. So after that, you're going back to work. You, um, you usually want to exclusively breastfeed, so you pump and then leave milk with the, whoever is taking care of your baby. With my first son, he didn't want to drink from the bottle. With him, I started introducing the bottle with express breast milk from um, three weeks old. So I'd give him, or I'd let my mom give him a bottle. Yeah, he stopped. Sorry, I let my mom give him a bottle every day, just that he'd get used to being bottle fed. But when I went back to work, he refused to drink from the bottle. So he would only breastfeed when I got back. As eventually he got over it, he learned that I wasn't there to breastfeed him, so he would drink from the bottle. 
And I had a similar problem with my second son. But with him, when you distract him, when you're in front of the TV with him, or when you're walking around with him, he tends to suck unconsciously. So he will drink from the bottle. So just to encourage um, Tricia that it's 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 not that bad. They will give in. <laughs> they have to give in. They are hungry. When they're hungry, they will eat. So don't be too worried about it. Okay. All right. So, uh, okay, Lauren, were you going to say something? No, no. Okay. All right. So there's another question here. Um, this person says, my son is getting addicted to his tablet. He always, he's always watching cartoon, cartoons on the tablet. He never minds you when he's watching it. I'm worried it will affect his development. He does not respond to his name anymore. He's one year, nine months old. And when you mention his name, he just repeats his name after you rather than respond to his name. Um, could the tablet he's watching be affecting his development? Is it true that too much watching on screens and tablets affects them? Um, Dr. Leopold, Dr. Mills, does anybody want to say something to this? I think every parent has this question. <laughs> <laughs> I know I do. Especially in these times, when they are home all the time. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does anybody want to say anything to this? Uh, so generally the recommendation is that screen time is limited to an hour a day. But let's be honest, because right now it's really hard. Most of us are home, the children are at home. You can't be outside all the time, you can't play all the time, you'll get bored. Um, I know with my son, at about 18 months, he just wanted to watch his tablet. He didn't do anything else. He was always... He was always watching his tablet and you couldn't distract him with other things. But he, he eventually started being interested more in his environment. He wants to play more. He wants to um, ask, he, he asks a lot of questions. So he wants to know what this is. So he, he sort of weaned himself off his tablet. So it's, it's not so much of limiting them. I mean, there's only so much you can do. But... If they want to watch a tablet, let them watch a tablet. There isn't, it could affect their development, but then you're doing other things with them. You're talking with them, you're playing with them. And children learn a lot through play. So even things like coloring, scribbling on a piece of paper, asking what is going outside, playing in death, it all helps. So if you can't take the tablet away, let them play outside, talk to them, let them ask questions, answer their questions. But don't feel too guilty when you have to give them the tablet. Okay. Right. So, I mean, the only little thing I'll add, yes, you know, there should be time, you know, kind of limit, if possible, right? You know, but if not, and it also depends on what they are watching as well, right? And so now there are all these, you know, a lot of programs. So you just have to make sure they are watching sort of an educational type, right? An educational, you know, type of, of you know, program or show or whatever you know, something that they can kind of learn from, right? And not just anything. So that's that's my only kind of contribution that I will. I mean, I'm interested. Has anybody come up with, like anybody at all can, I mean, answer this one too. Have you found anything that really works in terms of distracting the kids from actually wanting to be attached to these tablets and things? Is there anything you can actually do to make sure they don't get addicted to this? Because I don't know, I, my children are also very, especially my daughter, she's extremely addicted. I don't know what to do. I wish there was 
there was some secret formula to getting ahead. Okay. So, so that 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 secret is called time. Okay. It's called time, and that time is time that you can spend with them. Okay, and what you can do with them. Okay. Yeah. You know, something that they'll find a bit more exciting than what they are watching. Right. But normally we come home and come on, we are so tired. You know, we just want to <laughs> eat or do this, do that, go to bed or do a little bit of reading or, you know, concentrate on something, you know. So whilst they are watching that, you know, we are fine because, you know, we are getting the time to do other things. So it's, it's all time, time, time. And if you have time for them, you can always distract them by doing something else, you know, more play, playful. Because that's more interactive than you know just this the watching of the thing. So I mean, we have to find other things we can do with them. That means you have yeah. to be willing to the time they won't spend with the tablet. You have to find something else, an alternative. Yeah. <laughs> one thing I felt we, we one thing we found helpful during lockdown or and or when we were on long journeys driving. You know, we, they used to have the iPad when we were driving, um, but we we switched over to audio books. Um, so, you know, we'll all listen to an audio book in the car instead of them looking at a screen. Um, or even if I'm, you know, at home, I mean, you know, they do still, they do still love their games and their programs. Um, but, you know, if I think, oh no, they've been on quite a while and I'm still busy trying to do some work, and sometimes I can put an audio book on and they will just kind of sit around and listen to that. So we found that quite helpful. It can be hit and miss sometimes, depending on what the book is, but um, something we found useful in trying to steer them away from the screens all the time but also when you don't maybe have the time you know at that moment to go and go and play and go and do something wow i mean that i've never thought of that an audiobook my children love it when you read to them so i'll definitely mm. try that one audiobooks i mean are there any, is there any sites you can recommend i mean where do you get them? any ones to recommend um well so we I, I we got some cds um you know for the car for the stereo um i mean mine are a little bit older six and nine so uh, the nine-year-old likes the harry potter books um we've got the roll doll books as well um uh, trying to think which other ones we've had uh, i think those are the two main ones that they really love um but yeah the there's few around. I think it depends on what, what your child would like to. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. So um, we have a few more questions that we had already, but I don't know if at this point anybody wants to ask any question um, live other than um, type the question out. Um, please, you can unmute yourself and ask a question. If anybody at all wants to ask a question, um, rather than type it in, you want to ask it live, please, you can unmute yourself and ask the question. Other than that, we'll continue with the questions. I think we are almost through with the questions we have already. Okay. All right, so, um, okay, so there's a question here about bedwetting. Um, at what age, really, should you worry that your child is um, still wetting the bed? When should I expect my child to outgrow bedwetting? Um, it doesn't say what age the child is at, but um, at what age is should a person be worried that their child is still bedwetting? I think maybe I'll throw that to Dr. Mills. My <laughs> pediatric knowledge on that is very woolly now. Sorry, we have oh. a visitor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so generally, um, 
children are expected to be dry by day, so they shouldn't wet their underwear or their diaper, usually by three years old, most children by three years old. And then um, nighttime control. <laughs> Sorry. And then nighttime control will usually follow um, a few months to years after that. So usually, um, usually by five years, but up to seven years, a child may still be wetting their bed at night. And like we said before, boys um, take a longer time to do that than girls. So a lot of the time, a mother will say that, oh, I have an older daughter, and after three years, she was, sometimes they even say after two years, she wasn't um, wetting her diaper, she could wear panties, and then um, she wasn't even wetting the bed at night. But with boys, it can go up to seven years. The important thing to do is to make sure that there isn't something, um, uh, there isn't a medical not wetting the bed at night before, but um, starts wetting the bed at night, you should um, go for a medical consult because the, you have so, to make so, sure so that there isn't an infection. I want to get that again. You mean the person stopped? I mean, was, was um, um, how do you yes. call that? Toilet trained and then... Was toilet trained. Okay. Wasn't okay. wetting the bed at night. Okay. And then let's say a few months or a year after that, they start wetting the bed again. So you have to make sure that there isn't an infection in the urinary tract. But sometimes that can cause them to start wetting the bed at night because when that happens, they don't really have bladder control or the bladder wall becomes irritated. So they can't control... Um, they, sorry, they can't control their bladder symptoms. So at night, they start wetting the bed. Apart from that, they may be passing urine more often during the day. They may complain that when they are passing urine, it's burning or it hurts. And they may have low abdominal pain as well. So that could point to urinary tract infection. And usually after it's treated, they are okay. Um, apart from that, if the child is wetting the bed at night and is also drinking a lot of water or is also eating a lot and is not gaining weight, um, it could be because they have diabetes. Children get diabetes too. So it's important to rule that out. Um, I think those are the two main things that you should be worried about. Wow. wow. Okay, thank you. Um, Dr. Edepon, did you want to say something or oh, you're fine? Oh, no, I think, I mean, as she said, you know, so there's, you know, primary and secondary. So the uh, primary, you know, those who have, you know, been bedwetting all the time right sometimes that is easier huh, to deal with than those who you know were originally dry and now they're bedwetting that's you know more kind of worrying so if that is the type then it's best to sort of you know seek medical uh, kind of you know advice or consultation as you said but you know there are, few, oh, sorry. there are a few things like you know they shouldn't drink too much water after a certain time uh, in you know during the evening after the evening meal that sort of thing uh, um, and, and always taking taking them taking them to the toilet you know to the loo to make sure you know they do a wee before they go to bed you know so that is you know the the other good thing that you know you can do mm. okay okay I mean, that thing is not easy it's, it's 
you have to that means you have to interrupt your own sleep to get them and then you come back set a timer three hours you get up again it's really stressful mm. anyway all right so there's another question um, this one says my son is one year two months and he has just 40 should i be worried my son is one year two months and has just 40 should i be worried <laughs> You know, the, 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 the dentition, you know, kind of ranges. Okay. So I, I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry. I mean, there are, you know, I can count on my fingertips or something, you know, children who never ended up, you know, having teeth. It, it will always come. It will really? Always always. You know children who never had teeth? No, it will always come. Teeth okay. always, always comes. Okay. okay. So this mother mm. should not be worried at all. No, he shouldn't be worried. No. Okay. Lauren, were you going to say something? No, no, just that I think at, at that age my children also had two or four teeth. They were they were quite slow for their teeth to come, but yeah, as John, as John says, yeah, it will come absolutely. And it, it, there's just a big big variety, a big range. Okay. All right. So um I think we will be wrapping up pretty shortly. Uh Okay, so there's another one on teething. Um, this one says, when should you be worried when their baby teeth don't come out? At what age um, should you start worrying? Or, and, okay, so, and when should you be worried when the baby teeth don't come out and still stay in even with the adult teeth growing in? When should you be worried when the baby teeth don't come out and still stay in even when the adult teeth are growing in? Um, I don't know whether you got that. So, so I think what the person is asking is, you know, normally is the front ones that come first, okay. and then followed by sort of the back, right? So I don't know whether the person means that the back is coming, but the front hasn't come. Okay. Is that, is that what the person is coming? So normally, majority, majority of the cases is the fronts that come first, right? And before the back comes. But in very, very few cases, occasionally, you know, you see the back also normally to tend to start, sort of start coming with the front ones as well. The front upper two and the front lower two, you know, those are. So still, you know, do not worry because in some babies, sometimes that is how, you know, dentition kind of comes about. Okay, so I mean, with this one, would you have to get someone to take the baby teeth out or go off? I don't know. Oh no, we, we have other cases where we call baby teeth. So these the this baby teeth thing are babies who are actually born, and you see some you know remnant of something that looks like a teeth, right? Mm -hmm. It's got different different medical names, and with those ones, yes, they need to take those ones out, right? Because it doesn't help with feeding especially mm. okay. but you know apart from that don't take any babies you know teeth out you know, because sometimes it's the back that will come first but that is very rare normally the front that will come but it doesn't matter okay all right mm. Dr. Samuel, did you want to say something to that oh yeah good okay no. all right so there's another one here saying that uh, my son will be two years next month and doesn't say audible words should i be worried 
So, so, we the, yeah. the, so son, son, son again. Okay. <laughs> the boys, okay. the boys. Yeah, the boys, the boys. <laughs> we, we are a bit slow with everything. You know, girls, as we've learned, are more communicative, you know, their speeches, you know, earlier. And sometimes it's just, it's just a variation. Okay. So continue what you are trying to do. And, you know, once you've been on Zoom, it means that you have internet. So go onto the internet. Like I was saying, in this country, they don't start doing any form of therapy or anything for them until they are five. Okay. Yeah. So the main thing is making sure the son can at least hear. You know, when that comes in and honks the, you know, the car horn, does he get up and start running towards the gate? You know, when someone comes in and opens the door, does he, you know... You know, if he hears a noise, as he go by it? Does he tend to it? And once his hearing is good, you know, trust me, I think he will, you know, he will come up to scratch. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, and another one is saying, please, how long should I be worried if my child says R instead of L? I don't know. Ooh, Here in Ghana, you know about this. Yeah, that's very, very common. You know, that's very, very common. Um. You know, children's speech, you know, right at the beginning, is sometimes quite, you know, muddled and, you know, you sometimes they say things that, well, what is he talking about? And it's as if he's flowing with sentences, but actually, you, you know, you don't understand any of what he said. <laughs> that, that's how they learn, uh, you know, so allow him, that will come by itself. As for L and R, as a baby or a child, you know, don't worry. You know, it, it will be fine. I know, you know, Ghana, we have this thing about L, L and R, isn't it? <laughs> you know, people talk about Ashanti's can't say L or R or, you know, that's, that kind of thing. No, don't worry. It's too, too, too early. So don't worry at all. Okay. <laughs> all right. So it's uh, another question about uh, what do you do about crooked teeth? Um, is this a sign of vitamin deficiency? What do you do about crooked teeth? Is this a sign of a vitamin deficiency? Hmm, I wonder how crooked this teeth is. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder how crooked this teeth is. But, you know, teeth starts in a certain form. Uh, and, you know, depending on what it is, some of these, these teeth, actually we lose, you know, and new ones, you know, it get replaced by new ones and that sort of thing. So if it's really, really crooked and it's, it's affecting, you know, the speech or the way the child is eating and things like that, then it would be good to, you know, Ghana is not very common, but it would be good to maybe, you know, see a dentist and let him, you know, have a good look at this um, crooked teeth. But, you know, normally uh, children will have all sorts of, you know, slightly different shape, you know, uh, teeth or tooth. You know, and some may come out large, some may come out small, and later replaced by large or small ones, that kind of thing. So there may be a variation. But if it doesn't look really, really normal, I wish we had a, you know, a picture of it or something. You can <laughs> like, always... I mean, uh, so the person clarifies and says that uh, the V-shaped front teeth, you know how sometimes they, I don't yeah. know, V-shaped front teeth. Uh -huh. I think the, uh, what are those for, the big ones? The incisors. Oh, incisors. Yeah. Okay, at the front. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't worry too much because normally they will fall off and it will be replaced by permanent ones. But what okay. if the permanent ones are like that? 
Ooh, then I'll, I'll get dentists to have a look. Okay. Mm, but normally, you know, we tend to end up with, you know, quite normal. Mm, we all have slightly different shaped, you know, mm, teeth. So if there's any worry at all, you know, just see a dentist and let him have a look and see. Mm. Okay. But normally it's not due to any, you know, kind of vitamin deficiency and stuff. Uh -huh. In Ghana, we have a lot of sun, you know, uh, you know, so vitamin D and things like that is not a problem. Mm. Um, there's another question. Um, should there be a concern if um, maybe a son has small testicles compared to his other siblings? Um, should there be a concern okay. if a son has smaller testicles? I mean, provided they are there, right, okay. then it's a good thing, provided they both descended. Okay, that's the most, most important thing because the way they are made, God made it somewhere near the kidney, which is inside your tummy but it slowly des descends so that by the time you are born is actually down if it remains inside you know then you know the temperature inside your tummy or near the kidneys is not actually good for the testes because it will destroy it right so first of all just make sure both of them are have descended and then the next thing there are these clever ways um you know, some doctors have these beads, right? It comes as a round circle with different, different sizes, okay? And sometimes when you go for consultation, they're able to measure and compare it to these beads and say that, oh, you know, at this age, you know, this size is, is normal, right? So um, what you could do is maybe I'll check on the internet. Now that we have internet, I'm sure you know, the internet will be able to tell, you know, what, you know, what is the rough size, you know, of, you know, a child's testes that should be normal, right? But normally in a child, it doesn't tend to be big at all. It doesn't tend to be big. So once they are there, I, I, I wouldn't really, really worry. Okay. Dasano, uh, did you want to say anything? No, I think that's it. I'm not everything. So uh, I think we're about to wrap up. Um, I want to say thank you so much to all of you, Lauren, Dr. Dupon, Dr. Mills. Thank you very much. I don't know. Are there any closing words? I think, uh, Lauren, I'm sure you're a best milk advocate, being a lactation mm -hmm. consultant and all that. Maybe you can give us your manifesto for breastfeeding. <laughs> breastfeeding. Well, um, I breast, breast milk is amazing stuff. Um, it's a living fluid tailor-made for your baby uh, and it's packed full of immune properties and um, important factors for development um, and it will help to protect you know protect babies from infections and other illnesses um, uh, whereas formula milk is you know it's fine if you need it but it is very basic um, it doesn't have all of these important extra things that are, that are really good for baby health um, but for me the main the best reason to breastfeed um, is convenience um you know not having to get out of bed at three in the morning and go downstairs and make a bottle uh you know for me just being able to roll over you know grab your baby and go back to sleep you know it's the best reason i think not having to take things out with you uh you know all of that sort of thing i just think it's a lot more convenient um and it's and it's lovely in terms of the relationship and the bonding um but the main thing i think is you know we often build up breastfeeding and we say you, you know you, it's important you should breastfeed but the other the really important side of things is, is support. 
because I think a lot of a lot of women do want to breastfeed, but there are sometimes really difficult, really ch difficult challenges. Um, you know, pain or worries about supply. Um, you know, so the important thing I think is if you do want to breastfeed, is just get loads of support. You know, at the first sign of trouble. That's the main thing to say. I think. Wow, thank you. It's really obvious that you have a passion for helping women. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Dr. Japon, um, you see a lot of babies in the intensive care. What do you think um, mothers can do, especially during pregnancy? I mean, in terms of making sure the outcomes are good and you see less babies coming to your intensive care unit. I know things will be a little different in the UK than they will be here in Ghana, but I mean, what mm -hmm. can you ask some of the things you see and what do you think mothers we can do when we are pregnant or something to help us um, ensure better outcomes for our babies? Rest, rest, rest. Exercise, exercise, exercise if you can. Okay. And, you know, I don't know, be kind of as natural as possible. Okay. It's so, so strange that during this pandemic, we are having far less admissions on Nikko. You know, so people are starting to kind of look into this because if you compare our data over the past, you know, when this pandemic started to last year or the previous year, there's something really strange happening now. So we are not getting the mothers who develop hypertension and there's a need to come to hospital and, okay. All that is really, you know, kind of died down. So it's just, is it because people at home and resting are working from home and all these sort of things? There must be something in there, right? And then, you know, going for your antenatal appointments and stuff is really crucial, you know, so that, you know, they can check your, what they call fundal height, you know, see where the baby is growing, you know, and everything is fine. You know, Ghana, long ago, I think people introduced ultrasound and, and things like that. You know, if that is part of the system or if you can pay for it for that to be done, you know, all that is really, really good. Right. So to me, these are the, you know, bits. And bring your, you know, bring your men along. Ghana, we're not used to that. Right. But now, you know, I think, you know, it's becoming a fashion now. You know, people are going out to their wives when they're pregnant to clinic and this and that and that you know so you know that's really really essential you know times are changing you know and we have to move with the times hmm. wow. so yeah. rest you're saying you're advocating yeah. for rest for mothers yeah. especially when they're pregnant thank you hmm. dr yeah. Neil, what would you also want to share i mean you are a little more used to the situation in ghana so what would you share about keeping our children healthy um especially in times like these <laughs> yes, can you hear me? I think I went off a bit. Uh -huh, yeah, we can hear you now. Yes, um, uh, my closing remarks. So, what I want to talk about is childhood cancer awareness because we're in September. The month is almost over, but it's, it's something that is near and dear to my heart. So, um, the important things to remember. If you have a child who has a persistent fever or recurrent fever, if, your child is, if you have a child who is losing weight, if you notice that your child has um, 
a mask if you feel something in your child's tummy that shouldn't be there. If you notice a white spot on your child's eye, if your child complains of bone pain, um, all signs that could point to childhood cancer. Unfortunately, childhood cancer doesn't announce itself. It doesn't tell you that I am what I am. <laughs> it can manifest as so many other different disease conditions. So if you are worried about your child, please report to the hospital. Let the appropriate test be done so that early treatment can be initiated and cure can be achieved. Cure can be achieved. So are you saying childhood cancers can be cured? Cure can be achieved, yes. Wow. I mean, cancer seems like a death sentence to most of us. I mean, you hear cancer, okay, my child is going to die. But yeah. Yes. Children are more resilient than adults. Okay. Once it's early once you're able to make an early diagnosis and start treatment early it can be cured i know several children who have been treated for leukemia they've been treated for eye cancer they've been treated for um, kidney cancer and they are fine now the important thing is to make sure that we pick it up early and we start treatment unfortunately uh uh most of the medication for treatment of cancer isn't on the national health insurance scheme. So a lot of the parents have to pay for medication and that's in place now to help um, patients get their medication to hospital if they need that help. So all hope is in you think they have to hospital Okay. All right. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to all of you. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you, Dr. Jefon. Thank you. And I must say a special thank you to uh, Lauren because this was on short notice. So thanks so much, Lauren, for um, oh, you're being, very welcome. My being, part, being part of it. Yeah. Oh. Thank you very welcome. Um, okay, so um, us, please, uh, we have a feedback form in the chat section. Can you please send us your feedback? We'll be very grateful. And you can even let us know the particular topics that you want us to um, talk about in the next session of Mums. Let us know. We want to educate ourselves as much as possible as mothers so that we can raise children that we are healthy, are sound, and we can be proud of. Thank you very much for joining us. I hope you you leave the feedback session for us and you join us next month. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you.